0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: Thank you, Lord thank you. How descriptive the words of that song are tonight. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Praise God. Amen. you feel that way tonight? I certainly feel sobering truth of how bad I need the Lord to stand with me right now let's pray for our youth tonight, they're in the annex, let's ask God to minister and touch them and may something be shared with them this evening that will plant it in their heart and um, good things can happen this coming Friday night there's a special service in Ocala at Brother Williams Church Christian Prisoner Fellowship Conference Brother Brian Kinsey be our guest speaker and uh brother brother kenzie is just one of the great great preachers of our day and you will not be disappointed in that i promise you that and so let's if you get are at all possible if you can be there it will be a blessing to you amen i'm going to ask you to join me this evening again in the book of james for several weeks we have just been taking an expository journey through this book and uh ask the Lord to just touch us this evening and help us pick up some um, nuggets that will help us serve him and live for him with a measure of success. And we'll just ask you to join me in James 3. We're gonna pray and, and um, we'll just ask God to touch us as we make this journey together. We'll begin in a little bit in verse number 13. Lord, I love you today and I thank you for the presence of the Holy Ghost and I ask you tonight to just bless the gathering of your people that have come tonight. They have come not only in obedience, but they have come in faith this evening, believing you, Lord, to minister to their need and to touch us through your word. And I pray tonight that you will touch my mind and my lips. And let me, Lord, move me out of the way and let you speak to us this evening in this holy place in Jesus' name. And you can be seated Thank you for being here tonight, and I mean that with all of my heart. I want to speak this evening from the subjects that James is going to be dealing with in verses, we'll finish out actually chapter 3, this evening, verses 13 through 18. Um, And we're going to be talking about wisdom this evening, and two types of wisdom, one of those being earthly, and one of those being heavenly wisdom. Um, I think that we can find both the Old Testament and the New Testament support the fact that there are two basic kinds of wisdom. There's the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. And um, James is teaching us that the kind of wisdom that we possess is revealed by the kind of lives that we live. And so like I was uh, sharing in the last couple of lessons about our tongue being a revealer in truth. In addition to that, our lives become a revealer of, of really who we are, what we are. And so when we possess wisdom from below, our wisdom that is earthly or natural, then that's gonna be demonstrated in our lives. There's gonna be evidence of that. We leave telltale signs, so to speak, of of uh, really the worlds that we have invested in. There will be uh, a lack of desire to worship and a lack of desire to serve the Lord or obey the Lord. But on the other hand, those who have a relationship with the Lord are gonna manifest that wisdom from above. We're seeking for him tonight. In all reality, we are looking into his word and we are seeking the word of the Lord for direction and for hope and uh, for strength in our lives, and so, no matter how many times we read a passage of scripture, it's happened to me. Um, it's happened to me twice since Saturday. I've read a passage of scripture that I know I have read countless times, but all of a sudden, it's just like the light hits it at a different angle, and uh, you're just reading there, and something just not just leaps off the page, but it leaps into your mind and your heart. And uh, and I'm thankful for that word. And so that's what we're doing here tonight. Even though we may be for some in a familiar place, we are going to ask God's light to shine on this in a different way, in a different manner. And let the spirit of the Holy Ghost illuminate the word and let that word be planted in our heart. Without a doubt, I believe that where whatever world we invest in is going to manifest itself. We're gonna, it's going to show in our lives, and uh, that's the truth. That's a harsh reality, but it is a, a reality. And so, and this is where James begins in verse number thirteen. He writes this: "Who is a who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom." And so, how do we know? if we are, or if we or someone else has wisdom from above. How do we recognize this manifestation? How do we put our hand on that? As Paul puts it, how do we know those who have the mind of Christ? It is human nature to try often to hide our lack of wisdom, the things that we don't understand. Have you ever met people that just try to bluff their way through? Various aspects of life, instead of just admitting I don't know what I'm doing, Uh, you know, there's just something in all of us that don't want to confess that at times. Um, So it's important, uh, but it's so important that we do have a higher source that we can go to and, and just admit at times that we need the help of the Lord or in times we need the help of somebody around us who may have that knowledge or that understanding. Uh, one morning, so the story goes, uh, a young man who was the newly appointed president of a bank made an appointment with his predecessor and with the sole intention of just seeking for some advice. And so as they sat down and their meeting got underway, he kind of cleared the air by saying, sir, you well know that I am newly appointed and hired to this position and and I lack a great deal of the qualifications in truth that, that, that you possess and have for this job and I lack some of those skills. He said, you've been very successful as a bank president and I wondered if you would just be kind enough to share with me some of the insights that you have gained from all of your years of experience and decisions that you have made that has led to the keys to your success. So the older man looks at him with a stare and he just replied. He said, he said, young man, I have two words for you. The keys to success are good decisions. So he said, well, thank you very much. But how do you come to know good decisions? And how do you come to make good decisions? He said, I have one word for you, experience. So he said, well, how do you get this experience? He said, I have two words for you, bad decisions. so there you have it and uh, it sounds humorous but how much truth there is to that so here is a young man who realized if I'm going to succeed at this I need to go to a higher power higher place, higher level and so uh, if we're not careful we can feel like we have this, we have this. That's an impulse that hits humanity generally. I'm sure it varies to some degree, but generally around the ages of 18 months to two years, some of you parents could probably correct me on this and hone that down a little bit better, but that I got this, I can do this. When a child no longer wants you to feed them, but they they want to feed themselves even though they clearly lack the motor skills to find their mouth. But it's there in us and that never goes away. I've got this, I've got this. That feeling, that impulse, that urge or desire never goes away and so that's why we must submit ourselves to a higher power and let the spirit and the presence of the Lord do a work in our life. And so James starts out with this test of wisdom and he says in verse 13, let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. If we claim wisdom or we claim understanding, we show that first with our good behavior and our lifestyle because wisdom is like faith. We've taught in this series about faith without works being dead and so wisdom without demonstration in our lives, demonstration of righteous things in our lives and the demonstration of godly living in our lives is also dead. There has to be a manifestation. There has to be a demonstration. And I feel like uh, that that James clearly and successfully underlines some things for us this evening. He admonishes us to show our wisdom by our good conversation. He talks about our attitude and our meekness and our gentleness. The word conversation that James is using is much like the word conversation that Paul uses in his writings in the New Testament, doesn't just talk about our speech, that's not just limited to what we do between our, one another just in talking, but this word conversation speaks to our, all of our actions, our, our lifestyle, it's not just what we say, but it's what we do, how we live, how we respond. And so people who are wise in their own eyes are those who possess earthly wisdom are generally very arrogant about that. There's a pompous nature in man that if we don't conquer, we'll rule and reign or at least try. So the source of their wisdom is often revealed by that measure of arrogance in their life. But but those on the other hand that possess a genuine godly wisdom that is characterized by an attitude of meekness and gentleness, the term for meekness in this case certainly does not suggest weakness And I think that's often a conflict in people's heart and mind. They think if I am meek, then that means that I am weak, but nothing could be further from the truth because weakness is, meekness rather is power under control. Runaway power is a dangerous thing, but power under control. And so for us as believers, meekness is the, is, is being willing under the control of God under the control of God, to bring our flesh into submission to that control. It's that ability to harness, it's that ability to grab strength and bring it into a purpose. A horse running wild in a field is not producing anything of value, it's just spending energy. But when you harness that same animal and that same strength, it can be, uh, there can be, a, it can be used in a variety of productive ways. And so it's that harnessed strength that we must have. And James 3.13, we find the central thought of this entire letter one more time embedded within this single verse because James is declaring again that, uh, that where there is real, genuine salvation, it cannot help but to influence itself in an outward manifestation. What, if there's something really genuine going on in our heart and in our lives, there is going to be an outward manifestation of that in every conceivable way. Amen. There are those that have have, uh, have been saved are always changed. People that get the Holy Ghost really, really genuinely get the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is a change agent. Amen. It always manifests itself. It may begin on the inside certainly but it is going to manifest itself in in the in our actions and our attitude it's going to manifest itself in our conversations it's just going to manifest manifest itself and so salvation is more than just a statement of faith it is more than signing our name and it it's more than having our name on a roll but salvation is a life changing event Amen, from the moment we received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, there was a turn point. It was a change point in our life. Now we didn't morph into something mystical in a matter of moments. But we did turn and change that direction and begin to walk with the Lord. And in that walking with him, we find the working of the spirit in our life that creates real significant change. So James says that we demonstrate our godly wisdom by the life that we live and the attitude that we possess. In verse 14, he said, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. Another word for glory there is boast. He said, boast not. If you have bitter, envying, and strife in your hearts, that's nothing to boast about. That's nothing to be proud of. And lie not against the truth. So it's important to once again understand that, that everything issues from the heart. I've said many times in this study that we need to guard our heart because here's the wellspring of our life. So we gotta make sure that our heart's right. And so, uh, that the heart that, that's where unbelief and that's where, uh, belief and that's where sin and righteousness all originate. It's, there's the wellspring of it all. And I've gotta make sure this is right. <clears throat> you know, we think about, and I'm not trying to, to cast out any suspicions in your mind, but, you know, it's, we have so many times so much com- more confidence in the faucet than we do the source. And so we just, you know, if the if the faucet looks pretty clean, we just assume that what's coming out of it and the source of wherever that's coming from, that ought to be that's that's okay as well. But that's not altogether true. Uh, I think about that when we're in big hotels and things of that nature, it's just crystal clear water boiling out there, and I just in my, the back of my mind, I'm saying, but where's it coming from? <laughs> where's the source? What all has it passed through to make it right here? And, and, uh, I'm not trying to fling something on you there, but I'm just, I'm just saying that it's our heart. We, this is where we got, this is the source. So we got to make sure that the source is clean because there is where belief and unbelief is cultivated. That's where righteousness and sin is cultivated. So Jesus made it clear. Um, I'll refer to Matthew 15 and 19. He said, out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, on and on and on. It's out of the heart. This is where it's all born. That's where it comes from. So that's why Solomon said, keep your heart with all diligence. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. So we need to keep the source, guard the source. In verse 14, James mentions two sinful motives behind human wisdom. The first thing he mentions is bitter envying or another word, For that perhaps would be jealousy. Now this is not just, James is not really just kind of referring to a superficial level of envy or jealousy, but he's talking about bitter jealousy. He's kind of drilling down on this subject. So this implies an attitude or spirit that would be harsh or cutting or destructive. Amen, that's not Christ-like. Amen, that is not Christ-like. There are attitudes that would be harsh or words that would be cutting or things that would tear down instead of build up. Amen. I we have to uh, realize that, that there are times if we let our flesh take control that we'll have no concerns for the feelings of other people or the welfare of other people. Um, we, but we have to understand that God hasn't called us to be that. He's called us to care and to be invested. And so sometimes people whose lives are based on ungodly wisdom invariably are very self-centered. It's just kind of all about them. Everything is centered around them. And so James is hitting this head on. We live in a world today, not uh, like it's uh, never been this way before, but we certainly live in a world in which our personal ideas or our personal standards are the way that we measure everything. We just assume everybody makes macaroni and cheese the way you make macaroni and cheese. So that's the standard by which we measure everything. <laughs> right? Some people's mothers or grandmothers make homemade biscuits and they're kind of real tall and fluffy and other people's parents or grandparents make homemade biscuits and they're real thin and crispy and 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 so whichever that ever how you were raised that's how you think that's the standard by which you well these biscuits are too flat well these biscuits are too tall because we're measuring <laughs> we're measuring them i got to change the subject here i'm sure but but we're measuring that against our own standards and so whatever or whoever serves those ends are considered good and friendly and whatever threatens those ends are considered bad and, and uh, we're just engulfed in a world that is filled with worldly wisdom and uh, generally uh, people that are self-centered and things of that nature resent anyone or anything that gets in between them and what they want. And so this gives rise to this not just jealousy that, that James is talking about but bitter jealousy. The second thing that Paul, that James refers to is closely related behind human wisdom is strife. A modern translation, perhaps, is selfish ambition. And so the term is used to describe things that are just simply done for personal gain. What can I do to just get ahead? You ever been in a traffic jam? I mean, at the end of the day, nobody's going anywhere. But you see that person just easing, <laughs> easing ahead. And, and and you can just see, you know, taillights for miles. I mean, we're not going anywhere but personal gain. And we'll just do anything for personal gain. Whatever we can do to just get a little edge on someone. I'm sure that those of you who travel long stretches of roads, whether it would be 349 going north and south or 27 or 247 or 129, whatever you have those people that just get right on you and, and then they just can't hardly wait to get around you and they pass you like you're sitting still. And whenever you get to the other end of that road, you're all sitting at the light together. (laughs) Right. Every time, right. Right. And so you're just all, but it's just something about if I can just that personal gain. I want this for myself. Now, uh, certainly James is not referring to people in traffic and things of that nature, but, James is really talking about, if we look at historically a historical overview of this, it is more closely associated to the politicians in, in James's day are people who sought positions and power and influence and, and it was used for personal gratification and, and self-fulfillment at any cost, just whatever it takes for me to be able to insert myself there and that kind of selfish ambition knows nothing about meekness. And it knows nothing about genuine humility. It's ultimately the opposite of what a child of God is called to be. And so James says about this, he said, don't boast of that. Don't glory in that because there is no glory ever to be found there. And so a person whose motives are based on just worldly wisdom is invariably, as I mentioned a moment ago, arrogant in their own life. But a child of God ought to have a handle on humility. Paul talks about how to know how to be lifted up and to know how to be set down. Amen, and so we understand that as we walk with our hand in the hand of the Lord. There's nothing more characteristic of, an un, of of unredeemed mankind than being dominated by self. That is the world, again, in which we live. So James is saying if a person claims to belong to God and if we claim to have the wisdom of God, then if our life is motivated by selfish ambition, if our life is motivated by bitter jealousy, then we're lying against the truth. It is not true. That is not where our investments are or should be. James 3 and 15, the Bible says, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but it is three things. It is earthly, it is sensual, and it is devilish. Now don't read too quickly over verse number 15 and certainly don't skip too quickly over those last three words, earthly, sensual, devilish. These are tremendous battles and this perhaps is a great summation of the tremendous battles that we face in our life. He presents three of the most basic but yet distinct characteristics of false wisdom. And the three great enemies that we fight in our relationship with the Lord, if you could boil it all down to three, these are the three. It is the world, it is the flesh, and it is the devil. Amen. James now defines these three sources of false wisdom which corrupt these three enemies. He talks about earthly, which is the world. He talks about sensual, which is the flesh, and he talks about devilish, which is the devil, of course. And so let's look at these three aspects that James describes. The first false wisdom is earthly. This is limited to the present material world of time and space, earthly. By definition, it is restricted to the things that man in and of himself can discover and accomplish all by himself. It's earthly. It is grounded to this life. There is no place for God, no place for the things of God, just sort of this humanistic wisdom and this spawns in our society some catchphrases that we have grown so accustomed to, they're just next door neighbors in our lives now. It's that philosophy of have it your own way, it is that philosophy of just do your own thing, it's that philosophy of just look out for number one, this is the world. This is the world, human wisdom. It affects our philosophies in life. It affects our education. It affects politics, economics. It affects our society on every level. Basically, it affects every dimension and aspect of human life. And so we have to be very, very careful to guard against this earthly wisdom. The second wisdom or false wisdom that James deals with is sensual. Amen. perhaps another word for sensual, sensual would be natural or fleshly. And so Paul outlines this very well in 1 Corinthians because he talks about the natural man who does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. And there are a lot of people today, natural men, who will not accept the spiritual things of God. Jude 19 described this kind of person in this way. He said they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit, are fleshly, having not the spirit. All of their appetites, uh, all of their impulses, all their driving forces are grounded in a humanistic view of the world and man. And so again, man becomes the measure of all things. Can I tell you that we can't just build our world in such a way And feel like that as long as we've got it where we can handle it, this is the ceiling or this is the cap. And we need to put our faith and our trust and our confidence in the hand of the Lord. Amen. So man becomes the measure of all things. It's what we could do with our own strength, what I could accomplish with my own ability. The third thing, the third false wisdom is demonic. Although it's human and earthbound and fleshly, the root or the source of this is still Satan himself. Satan has always promised wisdom to those that he tempts. He's always asserting himself when he tempted the Lord after 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. He was trying to buy him and barter with him, if you please. So he's all, always asserting uh, him, his word against the word of God. We find this in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden, contradicting what the Lord had told Adam. Satan spoke to Eve, and he said, he said The Lord just knows in the day that you eat it, that your eyes are gonna be open. In that moment, you're gonna be like God and you're gonna know good and evil. In other words, if she did what God had forbidden, not only do you not have to worry about dying, he was saying, but you're actually gonna become like God. Just an absolute contradiction to what the Lord said. Consequently was born the lie that man can be his own God. So this didn't just start in the Garden of Eden and die, but we are facing that very spirit and idea and attitude in our world today that we can just be our own God. If we look at verse number 16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. And so James says that wherever envy and strife exists, there will be confusion and there will be evil. And I know that these are very, very broad uh very broad terms and they they cover a multitude of of, uh, of of certainly bad results they certainly include anger and bitterness and resentment and of course the list I think could go on and on but but we see that today displayed in our culture in our society we see the racial and the ethnic and the social and the economic Divisions that are just being underlined and entrenched more and more and more and more. Instead of getting better, it's getting worse. Amen, so we have to be very careful to understand that where this envy and this strife is, there is confusion and there is this measure of evil that is at work in our lives and in our world today. And so the idea is that absolutely nothing from this, uh, uh, nothing of any ultimate good is gonna result from this kind of human wisdom. So now James turns and he, when we come into verse number 17, he talks about true wisdom, not false wisdom, but true wisdom. In verse 17, he said, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And so the wisdom from above refers to God's own divine wisdom that can be imparted into us. And so this is a gift that he graciously longs to impart into our lives. We get that imparted to us as we begin to obey him, walk in his will, walk in accordance with his word. It's not a one-time moment of just a crowning. It's not a one-time moment. There, there's no uh, pomp and circumstance, but it is as we walk with God day after day after day after day. Amen, it is sort of as the old sage bank president said, we get this from experience. And often we get that experience from making both good and bad decisions. And so we say, Lord, help us. Let us let us walk in the light of this pattern that is set before us. And so this wisdom from above is something that God imparts to us. He said, first off, it is first pure. The word pure carries the idea of being free from contamination, as I mentioned a moment ago. The sixth beatitude, and there's a lot of references here in the book of James, James refers a lot back to or implies a lot back to the beatitudes. The sixth beatitude says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, and so this word pure here that James uses carries the idea of being free from contamination. And uh, David sought purity of heart in the 51st Psalm, what a powerful, powerful Psalm, if we were to read it in its entirety, but I'm just going to extract a couple of verses out of this. In verse number seven, David said, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Amen, so this purity of heart, this is what David was saying, don't just clean me up a little, don't just wash me off with a cloth, but he said I want you to purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean and wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Then when we drop down to verse number 10 of this same chapter, we read one of the most often quoted passages of Psalms 51, 51 where David says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I'm just gonna suggest something to you today. That ought to be a part of our consistent prayer. Create in me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit within me. I don't want you to wash me today and then just let's talk about this six months from now or next year again. Let's, let's hook back up and talk about this again. But create in me a clean heart. Oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. First off, uh, this godly wisdom is pure. Secondly, the James said it is peaceable. Again, now James reflects on the seventh beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I, I believe that truly wise people don't create conflict by their selfishness, but they create peace by their humility. Amen. It's not me, 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 mine, mine, mine. It's just there's a spirit of humility that says, what must we do to make sure this moves forward? What can we do to make sure that we abide in peace and in harmony? Amen. Yeah. I've often said to husbands or wives that you can be right or you can be happy. The choice, the choice is yours. If you want to be right, you just. You just head on where you're going and you can die and we'll just, we'll just make this commitment to you that on your headstone we'll put she was right or he was right or we can just understand that there's some battles that are just not worth turning into wars. Amen. Amen, blessed are the peacemakers, the peacemakers, for they shall be the sons of God. And so I believe that wise people are not trying to stir up conflict, but wise people are trying to find the resource to bring some sort of, uh, of peace to a situation. The third thing that, that, that James mentions is uh, about this godly wisdom is that it's gentle. It carries the idea of moderate or it carries the idea of courteous or considerate, and uh, so we've got to be careful to understand that wisdom is going to be gentle, and 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 it takes a, a wise a wise person is going to take sometimes a gentle touch. Amen. It's going to take some some gentle instruction, some nudging, and 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 it's going to take some uh, some patience. The fourth thing is that James mentions it is easy to be entreated. I know that's not a phrase that we would use a whole lot every day, but this means reasonable. He meant a person that's reasonable. Isaiah 18 and 1 says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Have you ever just met unreasonable people? You remember that one time, that one person you met years ago that was just that unreasonable person? There's some people that are unreasonable. They're just unwilling to yield. But this scripture is talking about somebody that's reasonable, willing to yield without dispute. Let's, let's figure out what we, uh, let's figure out what we need to do. Amen. It describes somebody that has a teachable spirit. Somebody that has a teachable spirit. The fifth thing that is mentioned is that it's full of mercy. Again, another reference back to the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so it's kind of like the, the good Samaritan. I mentioned that a few services ago, but, but here's a man who has truly no vested interest in what's going on in this other man's life, but on the catalyst of, or on the wings, rather, of compassion and concern. Those things served as a catalyst to cause him to get involved to do something. He because he had mercy. He realized this, it could be me. That could be me. That not just could be me right here, but it could be me in the next few minutes. It could be me tomorrow. It could be me in a month from now or whatever. And the sixth thing that he mentions is good fruits, and this refers to every sort of good work or deed. The seventh thing that he mentions is without partiality. The literal translation of this phrase means not to be parted or not to be divided. Finally, he talks about being without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy was one of the sins that Jesus condemned the most. If you trace your finger on the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, he condemned hypocrisy the most. He warned his disciples. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. When a group of Pharisees, when they tried to conspire against Jesus to trick him into criticizing uh, the rendering of taxes unto Caesar in Matthew 22, in verse number 18, Jesus, the Bible says this, that he perceived their malice, and he said, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? He was pretty quick to call them out about hypocrisy. It's a detestable thing. In verse number 18, the Bible says that the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now, I'm coming in for a landing here, obviously, because you know that verse 18 concludes our study for this evening. But if we're not careful, we can kind of get lost in the verbiage here. And so I just wanna take a couple of minutes and talk about this 18th verse. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make righteousness. And so here it is. If we share the fruit of righteousness with others, then not only are they fed and not only are they satisfied, but the end result is that in turn, they bear fruit themselves. This is powerfully important. I know we're not running the aisles here tonight. Nobody's felt the urge to run up and down the road. But I'm gonna tell you this is a powerfully important principle because this creates a perpetual cycle. How can we not just start a church, but how can we sustain a church? Not how can we start a ministry, but how can we sustain a ministry? A lot of good things have been started but they failed somewhere along the way because they didn't have a perpetual cycle built into it. God demonstrates the fruits of a true godly wisdom in our lives. And so when God demonstrates these fruits in our lives, then we in turn produce that fruit. When God has helped impart because of our obedience his spirit in our lives, then we start bearing fruit of that. In our lives, Amen, and that the bearing of fruit in our lives. Follow me now, Amen. That plants a seed of desire in the heart of someone else when someone sees you, Amen, and you are enough different than anybody else they've ever met before in our attitude and our actions and our speech and on and on in every in every in every conceivable facet. It creates a desire in their life. I would have no idea how many times through the years I've heard people say, I don't know what they have, but when I met them, I said, I want what they have. And so what happened is that they... They, uh, they submitted themselves to the Spirit and the will of the Lord and God began to bless their good works and their good deeds and God began to bless their, uh, their life, the purity of their walk with Him and He began to bless them with heavenly wisdom. Amen, that demonstrated itself in their lives because they began to bear fruit of those things. Instead of responding one way, they responded the right way. Instead of reacting the wrong way, they reacted the right way. And on and on and on because they had wisdom and that in turn planted a seed, a desire in the heart of someone else's life. And that seed when it comes to maturity again just starts the cycle all over again. And it goes from generation generation to generation to generation. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand and our musicians to come if they will. And so our walk with God, here's what it really boils down to. It's a life of sowing and a life of reaping. Sowing and reaping. And sometimes we grow so accustomed to sowing that we get uncomfortable with the reaping. God blesses us; something good comes our way, and we feel guilty about it. God, any God ever blessed anybody here? And you wonder. Just oh, I don't know. I'm not trying to give uh, shine a big light on pride or anything of that nature but our lives should be about sowing. And if our lives are about sowing, there's a law of the harvest. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. I want to I'm going to testify here. I don't want you to take this wrong, but a few days ago my wife and I were in a restaurant and we saw the widow of a she had been a pastor's wife for many many years her husband's been passed for several years and so I just asked the waitress I said I would like you to get her ticket I would like to buy her lunch and I, I was thinking that I didn't think she would ever find out about that I was just trying to do it under the wire but somehow or another she found out she came over to our table and she can't talk for crying and I I said ma'am if somebody had a gun to your head tonight you couldn't name or number the meals that you have bought for people through the years I said am I right she started shaking her head So I said, let me bless you, because I certainly need the blessing. And I saw this snapshot of someone who was sown and sown and sown and sown. And now a little harvest comes in, $7.99 harvest comes in, and we're just so uncomfortable. Is, that, is that, that describes us, doesn't it? I'm not saying that we should ever look up and say, well, I had that coming. I'm not talking about that, but there is a law of sowing and also a law of reaping. And there should be some things that come back in our lives. There ought to be a cycle. And when we live for the Lord as we should live, our lives should cause others to, to say I want to walk in that way and I want to live like they're living and and so when we understand the power and the course of of mentorship and influence and I said the other day about the gift of speech but also the danger that comes with that because with speech comes influence and so we need to make sure that we are influencing somebody in the right way the right path Amen. So God's wisdom shows sows righteous, righteousness not sin. And so we need to live a life that brings righteousness produces peace not only in our life but in the lives of others. And so here it is. we, What we are is what we live. And what we live is what we sow. And what we sow determines what we reap. Let me share that one more time. What we are It's what we live and what we live is what we sow and what we sow determines what we reap. And so if we live in God's wisdom and we sow righteousness and we sow peace, guess what? That's a harvest that's coming back into our life. Amen. The scripture says this, the Bible, not me. The Bible says that they that sow to the wind will reap a whirlwind. And I've watched just like you people that have just sown to the wind their lives so dangerously out of control. And then one day when all these whirlwinds start blowing in their lives, they're wondering where in the world did this come from? It didn't didn't start making its way to your house yesterday. This has been coming for a long, long time. A long time. And so in like fashion, the blessings of the Lord didn't just pop up overnight. It's been coming a long, long time. Amen. Let's love the Lord and worship Him in this song. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m.